Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's the second time it's gone off. I want to win the league, but I want to win it better. You can understand that, can't you? Yes. Good luck. So he's almost like having a second captain in the team. <laughs> second captain, first captain, whatever. I just can't understand this world of ours anymore, lads. Trump gets elected. The Irish soccer team getting away. Competitive win. Donut shops are popping up all over Dublin City. What the hell is going on with that, by the way? The donut shops? Yeah. People in their 20s are obsessed with them. I know. I, well... Mark, I'd, sure I'd, they're delicious. I know, I know. I, I should tell you that I've got a long history with the donut. Um, when I was a secondary school student in uh, St. Charles College in Chim, um, I would often eschew the sandwich option for lunch and instead buy two donuts from O'Toole Super Value in the town. I don't really know why, and I'm sure that it did set me apart from my, my classmates. And gave you a healthy complexion as well, I'm sure. Uh, <laughs> no, listen, <laughs> I needed absolutely no help in that area. Don't worry about that. Where are these down the place? I haven't seen any of them. Uh, Andrew Street has given us uh, you the Andrew Street. Ding- They're Andrew Ding- everywhere. Really? There's everywhere. one across the road from the St. Stephen's Green shopping centre entrance. Right. They are. They're, they're everywhere. They're ubiquitous, Ken. What's the, what's the story? Like? That's what I'm asking. Yeah. I thought it was going the other way. I thought it was just... Paleo. Maybe that's. Maybe this, is this a reaction? It is. It is. It. I. I think that there. You have. You have salad shops, and then there's the people who've just stopped caring. <laughs> anyway, the thing I'm most confused about, Ken, is that our lads are now scoring goals like you say. Ozil and Ronaldo used to score at Real Madrid. What a goal that was! That was an amazing goal. Yeah. Um. Just sweeping from one end of the field to the other. James McLean, the Irish Ronaldo, Listen, the line of Vienna. Two passes, Ken. That's all we need to go 80 yards. Yeah. Here's the best thing about that goal. David Myler walks straight past him. Now, Houlihan and McLean's on the run. And here comes James McLean. And an opportunity for Ireland. And McLean makes it 1-0. Oh, did you hear that sound? The net. The net. The net. Yeah. Really ah, tough pass. See, I didn't hear that. Mm. Uh, I was physically a long way away from that net. <laughs> uh, and I wasn't didn't have access to the audio feed from whatever microphone was obviously sitting in the net. Yeah, but for whatever reason, the 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 net microphone they wired the stanchions for sound. Mm. Everyone should always do that. That's an ex- extraordinarily satisfying sound to hear. I, lo- to be honest, I didn't hear it first time around either because mm. I was too busy yelping for joy. Oh yeah, you were screaming before just as before the ball even left McLean's foot. I did feel like he was going to score for some reason. I don't know why. I kind of had that Gareth Bale versus Inter Milan game yeah. in my head. It was like one just of those types of goals. Powered away and just absolutely rammed one in. Can we hear that sweet sound again? McLean makes it one nil. Oh. It's lovely, isn't it? It is. It's a, it's a beautiful sound. I love McLean after this match. He's so honest, and not just in his I love the jersey sort of way, but he was saying how, listen, none of the teams in this group are world beaters, nobody's brilliant, but that we should be the best of them. Plus, yeah. plus, he didn't tweet anything about a United Ireland or photographs of Martin McGuinness to tarnish the day in some people's minds. After account, so, the perfect day for James McLean. <laughs> yeah, now he's... Uh, he's got a, he's, his checklist isn't mega long. It's one, help Ireland win game. Two, not get into a Twitter storm. Yeah. And he managed to succeed on both counts on Saturday. No, I like his style, you know, if, if we're going to 
I mean, I think Ireland should regarding top the group. reunification or regarding the uh... regarding regarding winning oh, gotcha. the qualification group. Uh, that's what that would be my. Uh, uh, you know, I don't I don't really see the point at this point at this stage of of saying oh you know well maybe we will. I mean, the group is mediocre. Uh, we've made a brilliant start. It's all set up for us nicely, and I think at this point we should win the group. But I mean, that's not even it's not even uh, grandstanding. I mean, we're two points ahead of uh, Serbia. Four ahead of Wales. We've Wales at home next. Win that game, and then surely Europe will be aflame with talk of the uh, invaders from the West. <laughs> the green-clad invaders from the, the West of Europe. Well, there is Serbia as well. You know, Serbia is still... Uh, Serbia are the team, kind of team that maybe could beat us in Dublin. You know, that could happen. But... Uh, you know, things couldn't be couldn't really be going much better at this point. I should say we've drained the second captain's swamp for today's show. McDevitt is gone. The two Quinsworth shopping trolleys that remain are Murph and Ken, and this is producer <laughs> Mark Horgan. Word of warning, Ken. Yes. You survived the cut this time. But right. if you make any points I disagree with, I'm gonna press this. I think I do like Ken Early's work. He writes fluently and thinks uh, cogently, but uh, I think he's wrong. <laughs> what, what is what is that? Well, I just got him in. You're here. wrong, Ken. You're wrong. What was what, I was wrong about? What I got him in here this morning to record that just for the benefit of this link of mine. Yeah. What? But what did it? What was he talking about there? Yeah, keep talking like that, Ken. That's a sure way to get Listen, you. Don't you, get yourself don't shit you worry about that. Here, right? Just just be on your guard. Okay, Conor Co- McGregor. Cogently is such a good word, isn't it? <laughs> it's like look, he loves. It. He's beaming. It's like uh, Hillary Clinton's the most qualified candidate ever. <laughs> You know, cogent. <laughs> That's everyone dreams of being described as cogent. Conor McGregor has now entered the history books. They are literally pulping the previous history books and putting them in there, Murph. No one can take them out of there now. Burning the books. That's the way it works. <laughs> he's he's a two-way uh, UFC champion. And Ken, uh, your contemporary and fellow speaker at conferences, Niall Harbison of Love and Dublin, he tweeted this. Uh, there has never been a better Irish sportsman than Conor McGregor. Roy Keane, only man close, but not even 10%. Not even 10%. Could it be that uh, Niall Harrison was trying to be a bit provocative with that tweet? Well, or I actually or think whatever. that's probably what he thought. I yeah. think he might have been trying World's to World's biggest earning sports star in 2017, McGregor, an Irishman. Think about that for a second. What's his follow-up tweet? Well, that's <laughs> completely <laughs> okay. incorrect, but anyway. Okay, cool. Well, he's, well, he's a good bit down the, the Forbes list at the moment, but you know, 2017, if he gets a share, as he's campaigning for, of the, of the UFC, then uh, he has a chance of... Um, Getting up there into uh, territory occupied by maybe Neymar. In your own mind, Ken, and remember my hand is hovering above the bell as we speak here, where does Conor McGregor rank in the all-time Irish sports stars uh, list? Well, I'm not even going to say top 10 because obviously he shouldn't be in the top 10. But anyway, yeah, Ken's anyway, on. It depends on your criteria. Are we talking about international... Sporting achievement and ability. How about that? Ab- There's two Ability, ability there. to take over rather than just take part. <laughs> well, if we're talking, Unrivaled in the game. If we're talking about taking over, mm. I mean, do you mean international impact? Do you mean, you know... Well, uh, Lord Callanan was uh, head is, of the IOC for a long number of years. Yeah, but I mean... I bet, Did he take over the I, international... I bet, I bet 85% of the people who just heard you say that don't know who Lord Callanan is and 14 of the other 15% Edu- heard you talking about it on Off the Ball a few years ago. Educate yourself. <laughs> Educate yourself. If you don't know who Lord Callanan is, the, the only viable contender against Conor McGregor. Educate yourself. Um, yeah, I, I think he's... Uh, I mean, I remember when we, when we were in New York, I, I went to the uh, Red Bulls training ground and mm. was waiting around for a while before the training started and the security guys there, once they realised it was Irish, all they wanted to talk about is Conor McGregor. I mean, I've had similar types of experiences. And Seamus, WWE Seamus? Uh, <laughs> or just McGregor? Yeah, I don't know. I, I mean, she- I, I don't actually know that much about Seamus, to be honest. Is, is he quite big? Like, quite large. Yeah, no, I mean, a large it, man, does he have yeah. a big... I mean, I, I don't really... I don't watch WWE. I haven't really paid much attention to it. But in that world, is he like a big star? Yeah, he is. Yeah. Well, I mean, fair play to him. But not in obviously at McGregor levels and being completely facetious. It was a brilliant performance by Conor McGregor, uh, and we'll come back to it a little bit later. We'll chat about Ireland's week leading up to the New Zealand Part 2 in just a second with Jerry Thorny. But right now, let's get straight to this. I've got a call here that says you're the most boring, predictable, condescending interviewer around. Go back to lecturing. You have the charisma of a sick bag. Oh God. That's just it. I just Whoa. mentioned not you, not me. Okay, ain't nobody fucking with my click, 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 click. Ain't nobody fresher than my mom. We don't normally click, broadcast all click, the, the stuff that click, comes from scum click, around the country. Click. Yeah, big thank you to all our scumbags who've been really good in getting in touch over the past few weeks. The main scum topic of debate 
um, for many people was the ad that has the world talking well it has a country talking anyway hello hello who's this this is Lebanon Lebanon where have you been all this time I'm here I never moved it's you who left it's really sinister isn't it it is really you've got some answers I need some answers uh, yes it's a CNN Lebanon ad we played last week the scumbag in chief today is Dave Sexton uh, lads turns out that say hello to Dave Murph. Uh yeah whatever hey Lad, Dave lads turns out the Lebanon, uh, that Lebanon the country had a previous life as a, a drug lord by the name of Dragon in the 2004 hit movie Layer Cake starring Daniel Craig uh, this is how he got the part of Lebanon have a listen to this my name is Dragon how do you get this number Boatman Paul gave me your number in the end. Well, I believe you have some property that belongs to my employer. And you're the person I should talk to about the return of this cargo. I didn't think there could be a worse performance than the <laughs> Lebanon voiceover, but it turns out this is far worse. Hint, hint. Um, let's actually combine them both just so you can see how, how close they are to each other. They're clearly the same person. I've been working hard day and night. Well, I believe you have some property that belongs to my employer. And now things have changed. <laughs> that is pretty weird. Layer cake. I'm, 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 I might check this movie yet. But the, uh, this is the actually the ad that keeps on giving because the incredible thing, people, is that there's been many versions of the Lebanon ad broadcast on CNN over the last couple of years. I've been doing my research on this, and I came across this one that started broadcasting only late last week. Hello, this is Lebanon. Why is Lebanon apparently voiced by Apple? I've been working hard day and night, and now things have changed. Um, yeah, I was invited to, to purchase some property in Portugal. I want you to walk with me. I actually can't afford even anything that you're selling. I'm just on the market. Home is waiting. Well, best of luck with it. <laughs> I just don't see them having as much impact with that one. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I can't afford anything. <laughs> You're so like... Oh, sorry, Lebanon. I suppose he's cold calling. He's used to that kind of response. That could be the reaction to actually a lot of their uh, their ads, their real reaction. But uh, yeah, I don't think they're going to make much though out of that one. Um, Simon, what did you take from the rugby match on Saturday apart from how well-spoken Ulta Delan was? Doesn't he sound like a polite young man? He's very well brought up, I would suggest. Um, <laughs> he was... Joe Schmidt has unlocked something in Ulta Delan. He hasn't been playing brilliantly this year for Connacht. And then in the two games in an international jersey, he's been absolutely brilliant. And I think it might be that thing again where Joe Schmidt looks at the strength a player has and just figures out a game plan that that player keeps playing to that strength rather than worrying about what weaknesses they have. From the match in general, though, what do we, what do we learn from it? That uh, we now have three good out halves for the first time in our history, that there's huge backup in the back row. In terms of how, I mean, I don't think any player proved anything new by playing well against Canada and loads of the players played averagely. Sean O'Brien and Peter Manny are the two players that might come into the starting lineup. Um, well, one of them probably will because Jordy Murphy's out, but I don't think anybody played so well that it would change Joe Schmidt's mind about them. Um, Jerry's with us. How are you doing, Jerry? How are you doing, Mark? Um, what impressed you or who impressed you uh, on Saturday? Um, I thought Jack O'Donoghue looked like a really classy player and looks like he could play test rugby. The problem for him is, of course, that there's a huge posse of back rowers in front of him. I suppose most relevant for the weekend coming up was the form of Sean O'Brien and Peter O'Mahony, who both inched back more towards their best. And I think it might have been telling that Sean O'Brien was hauled off 20 minutes before the end to preserve him for this game the weekend. I'm not saying he's going to start. Josh van der Vleer might start, but I think there might be a place for O'Brien on the bench. I thought Dunne, who looked good. Alton Delan was obviously the stand-up performer, Simon said, doing what he does best. And he's always been able to do since he first took up the game, and that's run with the ball, mm. as he was born to do. Um, and he's a fantastic athlete. And he obviously impressed. Was, I, thought, um, I thought Keith Earls was very good. I thought Keith Earls was very good. Whether he's going to do enough to dislodge um, was going to do enough to dislodge Simon Zebo's unlikely given how well Zebo played in Cardiff probably his best game ever in a green shirt um, I thought Gary Ringrose obviously looked the part uh, when he got a bit of space to run with the ball he's got a great capacity to beat something on the outside he's got good footwork great balance in his running um, I think it's probably between Earls and him for that number 23 shirt 
Um, and it was, um, I think the, the erraticism of the match, uh, the erratic nature of the match was summed up by the most erratic performance on the pitch, which was Luke Marshall, who mm. most people would say had a very bad game because he threw out that intercept pass. Although I thought the way that the back line aligned themselves also telegraphed the pass uh, for DTH van der Merwe to intercept. And that kind of rocked the team. He also kicked, kicked out in the full. He also made a basic knock on. And yet if you look close, he did a lot of very, really good things as well. Uh, took his try well, passed really well. Um, good lines of running but a typically mixed bag from him, as was the case in the third test in South Africa. Who, who else, Simon? I thought Ring... I, I'm kind of surprised by the reports in Ring Rose. I thought he was brilliant. I thought everything he was asked to mm-hmm. do, and not that much actually came through his channel, but when he does things, he, he does them right. And he connects... When he does make a half-break or a break, he always connects with a support player. And you're talking about Keith Earls coming in there, possibly for him on the bench. I think Keith Earls, you know, one-on-one in small spaces, he's got the best feet of any Irish player in the whole squad. Um, but he just isn't as creative. He doesn't connect with people in the same mm-hmm. way that Ringrose does, and that's why I would keep Ringrose on the bench or even on the starting team. You mentioned Luke Marshall there, um, Jerry. We'll come back to him in a second. But how do you assess uh, how Joe Schmidt sees a game like that? Um, is there potential for somebody who who really performs to come in and get a starting place against the All Blacks, aside from somebody who's going to replace Jordy Murphy, obviously? Or is there is he going to be swayed greatly either way by a performance against a team of of that standard? I think, first off, with regard to um, Luke Marshall, he, he was openly critical of that mm. intercept pass a couple of times. It clearly annoyed him greatly. I think we, we can assess, one thing we can assess is that Luke Marshall got a big bollocking after <laughs> yeah. that game. Yeah. And he, I, I think it's pretty safe to say, we might we can go back to Ring Rose again, but that Marshall definitely won't get picked for the, for the All no. Blacks game. And could but, be out for quite a while. Yeah. Not yeah. just the, this November series, but it'll damage his chance in the mm. Six Nations. That's how long it would last in Joe Schmidt's memory. Yep, true. All true. And again, it goes hand-in-hand in hand with his very erratic performance in the third test in South Africa as well. When he makes mistakes, he makes big ones. Mm-hmm. So what is it about him? And when he does things well, he does things really well. He's a, he's a real footballer. He's got a lot to offer Luke Marshall, but he's got to iron out the mistakes that are too frequent at that level for Joe Schmidt's liking. You never know with Joe, he will look at that um, that intercept and that try in forensic detail. And I looked at it again. And if you look at it, it the way they're aligned, it's very much a telegraphed skip pass. And those outside Luke Marshall contributed to that, including Gary Ringrose, who doesn't have his hands up in readiness for the next pass, for that pass. So I think that helps DTH van der Merwe read where the ball is going to go. And um, and that would be the forensic detail he will then go into about the game. as took. He wouldn't go necessarily in his good instinct straight afterwards. He did say that he would go through it in fine detail. And he will also discuss with Simon Easterby. That was the one he mentioned, that he would discuss with Simon Easterby afterwards what he should do in terms of the back row because Easterby's played 62 times for Ireland and I thought that that was telling as well and that is the one area of contention and it's really an area of contention thanks to Jordy Murphy's injury so he has to make a decision there about whether to start Josh van der Fleer and whether to bring in Sean O'Brien or Peter Omani but it's quite likely one or other will not make the matchday squad and one, one of them might only make the bench which tells you something about the strength and depth of the back row I don't see how you can drop CJ Stander after the way he played and mm. Jamie Heaslip is Jamie Heaslip almost the first name of the team sheet well him and Connor Murray and Johnny Sexton that 8 nine, ten axis and I don't think he's going to make any changes in midfield I think he'll go with the same tried and trusted Jared Payne as a defensive linchpin outside him and I don't think you'll see many changes I mean when you beat the All Blacks you make a good compelling case and when everybody played as well as they did mm. for that starting lineup to be retained almost on block Yeah it's funny before the New Zealand game we're speaking to some pundits about what is it that Ireland are better at than New Zealand. And nobody really committed to anything with Gordon Darcy in here and he's saying, you know, we're competitive in a lot of areas. But having watched that New Zealand game, you're talking about the midfield and potential changes there. I think the one thing we have, we might have the best defensive midfield in the world now with Sexton, Henshaw and Payne. And I think you're losing a bit of fullback by not playing Payne at fullback. But what you're gaining is just this rock-solid wall um, structurally in terms of just completing the tackle in terms of power with Henshaw and Payne and Sexton as well uh, in terms of the variety of defence in terms of rushing up uh, they can sometimes sit back or they can suck it out half in let it give them half a gap and then they all jump in and try and turn it over um, what we have there is nullifying one of New Zealand's key strengths if you watch them in the Six Nations or in the, their Four Nations Championship so much of their danger comes from just pace in midfield. That's bringing the wingers through, but also using their wingers or using their centres. And Bowden Barrett, obviously one of the fastest out halves that's ever played the game. Um, but with that midfield there, New Zealand have to think differently about the way they attack. And we've talked about how simply they play the game. 
but that simplicity comes with pace in midfield and we're nullifying that and there's no way Josh Schmidt's going to change it. Absolutely not. Although there was the early mistake by the midfield and Henshaw rushing up on the outside Nadolo came inside him and that was the one time. But after that, I think Henshaw made 13 tackles as well as a lot of carries. So it was, a, it was one of his best ever performances in our shirt and there's clear evidence that Sexton, Henshaw and Payne is um, a more established combination than the 10-12-13 at Leinster, which would have ring rows outside Henshaw. It's actually more settled, it's more established, and clearly as well, in all of what you say, it's amazing how often the players talk about Jared Payne's communication skills on the pitch, how much talking he does for those inside him, and I think that's a great comfort blanket for Sexton and Henshaw to have Payne outside him. Both Sexton and Henshaw have referenced this, so you're right. I think as for the attack... Like, it's remarkable to think Ireland did hurt New Zealand like no team has hurt them all year. They scored five tries. Um, now, there were a few disconnects in defence, you, you, the one I mentioned, and the other ones, that were you're right, they weren't the 10, 12, 13 channel, they were Devon Toner, Jamie Heaslip, they were when the forwards closer in, that was where the disconnects were, where the mistakes were. So they got deficiency in defence, they can iron out, they can improve their line-out, but it's very hard to see how you can improve an attack that scored five tries against the All Blacks, which actually equaled the entire amount they conceded in the Rugby Championship. Three against Argentina, two against Australia, none against South Africa. They conceded five tries in the whole of the Rugby Championship and five against Ireland. How on earth are Ireland even going to replicate that, that potency? I don't know. It'll be, that'll be the tallest order of all. Jerry, let's just go back to the back row because um, this immediately came into my mind once Ireland beat the All Blacks, actually. But I don't think we should underestimate how big a deal it was for O'Mahony and O'Brien to miss that match uh, and how personally, how much that would have hurt them. I was actually, I honestly think if they're watching that match at home, and their recognizing of the targets that professional rugby players, Irish rugby players, have to hit at the moment, whether that be to you know to win uh, Heineken Cups, to win the Champions Cups, to win Six Nations, uh, and obviously to perform in a World Cup. The other thing is to be on that first team to ever beat the All Blacks, and there, there definitely would have been a part of them thinking completely. Let's hopefully you know this comeback from uh, the All Blacks will they'll follow through with it, and then in two weeks' time, I have a chance to be on that team. Um, to, to make history so it's going to be it would be a massive thing for both of those guys and maybe it's a bit lucky in some ways they have a chance to rectify something they can be a part, part of that you know a, a team to beat the All Blacks um, you know just a, a couple of short weeks later but that would have really hurt them Yeah it would have been bittersweet as it would have been for all the retired players who'd had a lot of goes off the All Blacks in their careers some had had 6, 7, 8 O'Gara Darcy O'Driscoll O'Connell others it must have been a little bit bittersweet But it's funny though even with Shane last week he was almost joyous about it. I think it's just when a certain amount of time passes, even, I, I know people who've retired maybe a year or so, that's yes. like still going to be hurtful I, for them. Shane was kind of thinking, this is a monkey off, the, off their back. He, there, there didn't seem to be any uh, jealousy there at all. You know, even though... Yeah, he's a little bit longer retired. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I, I, talking to past players, it's very often the way they need that break of a year or two or three mm. before they can truly celebrate an Irish victory where they won't, won't feel a little bit bittersweet. Um, I remember Conor O'Shea and Niall Woods both telling me of a game several years after they retired and it was the first time they could really enjoy an Irish win. And I'm sure that applies for most players across the world. Every player is different, of course. But as regards Sean O'Brien and Peter O'Malley, well, it just shows you you wouldn't want to have a limp around the Irish squad or you wouldn't want to be just coming back from having had a limp because he picked his strongest, fittest side. He made, he made mention of the word Joe Schmidt did, of fittest. And, you know, Stander, Heaslip, Murphy, uh, Van de Fleer had all played more rugby this season. They were all match, much more match fit than so that all the past achievements that O'Brien and, and O'Mani didn't count for as much as just being fit on the day. Now they've had another couple of games, both for province and for country since then, so that, that bit fitter. And you're right, one or other of them coming in will provide that bit more freshness. And it's no harm that there's a little bit of a rejig in the team. What did you think of Sean O'Brien? I mean, he got pretty good reviews after the game, but I didn't think either of them played particularly well, given the opposition. I thought O'Mani grew into the game and got better and better and better. And that was, was that his first, only second 80 minutes on the comeback road. You're right, I think O'Brien is not yet ready to start. I don't think he's going to force away, and I think it might be Van de Fleer. But you saw in that one big burst in the first half and that offload that when he is match fit, pound for pound, he's probably Ireland's best ball carrier. And that counts for a lot. That, it was interesting that the, the fringe team, or reverse, second string team, as well, was quite full of ball-carrying forwards. Healy, Delan, O'Brien. And I thought O'Brien did enough to say, and also the fact that he covers six, seven, eight, whereas Peter O'Mahony is more of a specialist six. I just, even though O'Mahony looks a bit further down the road, I wouldn't be surprised if it's O'Brien who's called in. I thought he was a little bit unlucky with a couple of attempted poaches over the ball that the referee didn't give him, and he carried well. Um, 
I think he's getting there, you know. And I think Sean O'Brien is a is a must-have player for Ireland when he's anywhere near match fit. It's interesting that New Zealand Jerome kind of spoke about Sean O'Brien, but before that first New Zealand game, and he he talked about just that spearhead that he is, that physical spearhead. And I think in the heads of opposition, somebody like Sean O'Brien would occupy the same place that somebody like Brian O'Driscoll would have done in the past. This absolute superhero of a player who makes things happen, who they genuinely fear. Do you think that matters playing New Zealand? Would that be something that would play into Joe Schmidt's head that, you know, they would really have to respect him? He's another target. He's also a decoy if the ball doesn't go to him. You know, he's somebody who looms large in the New Zealand mind. I think so. And there aren't many players who fall into that category. And I also think that past achievements against New Zealand will count for a fair bit. It's why Rob Carney was reinstated fullback because of the memory of his very good game against the All Blacks in November 2013 in the Aviva. And if you remember, O'Brien was outstanding that day. I mean, he took the game, he took the game to the All Blacks more than any other Irish player. And I think that will count as well, not just in New Zealand minds and the knowledge that it will play in New Zealand minds, but just in Joe Schmidt's thinking as well. The fact that he's done it against this opposition before, he is a world-class player on his day and he, and he can carry against the best sides in the world and he can get Ireland on the front foot. And so much of what Ireland do against the All Blacks, both in Chicago and what they did in the Aviva Stadium three years ago, was about hard carrying, hard square carrying and getting that ball back, recycling it really quickly and making it a high-tempo game. And you imagine Sean O'Brien coming on for the last 20 or 30 minutes or starting, he will certainly add to that. And yet, when a player has been injured as often as they have over the years, you're almost, you don't know whether to trust them again or not. It takes a long time for you to realise they're back to where they are. And he certainly isn't at the form he was at the height of his career. So no matter what Joe Schmidt does with Sean O'Brien and Peter Manny, it's a gamble. I mean, you don't really know how they're going to perform in such a massive game. I don't think it's a huge gamble with players of such proven quality. And, you know, you can see O'Mahony's influence on Munster this season in the last, the last month has been fairly profound in his, just in his presence on the pitch and the presence in the group. And I think O'Brien, he's got that same kind of stature and he may not be quite back at that form, but I think he's showing signs of getting there, Simon. I really do. I think there's, a, there's been glimpses of it enough. So you look at the form graph, it's going up it's and going you zoom in another week. It'll go up that bit more. Yeah. I certainly think he's ready to be on the bench against the All Blacks. We're only just over a week from a historic victory, Jerry. A one that we thought we'd be able to bask in the glow of for a very long time. But it kind of seems... Um, it seems really important that we put in a performance against the All Blacks and that we're able to sustain something. We're able to prove something's quite real and that uh, that we've... Irish rugby's kind of reached a certain level that's sustainable and they were able to compete at a, at a, a you know, more consistent basis against the likes of these guys. Yeah, and this is the, both the flip side and the benefit of playing the All Blacks twice. Um, twice more than England, Scotland or Wales are going to do in this window, which has connotations for the Lions as well. So if Ireland go really well against the All Blacks um, and the likes of Murray, Sexton, Henshaw performers they did in the Chicago match, that um, ups their standing in the eyes of Warren Gatlin and other Lions selectors as well. Um, I think that you're right if they got beating out the gate in the Aviva Stadium next Saturday, a Saturday night kick-off in front of a home fans. There's almost more pressure in Ireland to perform. And the, a slight regret about Chicago was that it happened in Chicago, that it didn't happen in the Aviva Stadium or in Christchurch, which it could have done. And think back to Christchurch when that game flipped on a scrum decision by Nigel Owens with a few couple of minutes to go. The score's level and the All-Backs down to 14 men. And many a referee would have given that penalty to Ireland 40 metres out and the way Johnny Sexton was kicking that night, that could have been the historic breakthrough. It's almost been forgotten and erased from history because of what happened a week later, the Hamilton Horror Show and a 60-0 beating. And that was the abiding um, memory of that tour because it was the most recent, it was the last memory. In a similar sense, this might be the abiding memory depending on how it goes because it's the most recent meeting. And I think you're right. Um, It was a huge monkey off Irish rugby's back that they could do this. For years and years and years, we've been hearing players saying, we can beat any team in the world. Yes, but they've never, ever beaten the All Blacks. So it's embarrassing that it took so long in some respects, but it's gone now. There's the black smudge against Ireland's record is gone forevermore. At least they've done that. Emulated Munster and the women's team, the under-20s team. But I think that for them now to go on, say, and up their world ranking and be serious contenders. I see they've got England last in the Six Nations, which has a look of a title decider in some way, shape or form, whatever about being premature and saying it would be Grand Slam decider. It would be amazing if at least one or both those sides aren't in the running for the title on the last day. 
And I think just in the context of that and where this team is going in the post O'Driscoll, post O'Connell era to set up new um, landmarks with, you know, as good a halfback partnership as there is in Europe at the moment, maybe the world. So the other strengths have come through in the team. Yes, they've been very competitive. They could easily be two from two under Joe Schmidt's watch now against the All Blacks. And I don't think they'd be seven to one or six to one with the bookies next Saturday if that had been the case. Mm. And they could easily have been two from two. So at the very least, You'd love it to be a very competitive game for Ireland to put it up to the All Blacks to compete toe to toe, to have a good solid base and set piece again, to compete at the breakdown, to make their tackles and not have the All Blacks run away from them at some point in the game, which they're capable of doing against anybody as they proved throughout the rugby championship. Then I think they will have made rapid strides in this November window with Australia to come. Rapid strides. Well, what do you make of this idea that there's a New Zealand backlash coming, that we've something to fear, there's something deeper inside New Zealand to come, there's a huge, huge room for improvement. Yeah, it's valid. I don't think... I think Ireland catching Chicago was the perfect time and place to catch them. They'd had a lot of off-field activities in terms of sponsors. It was very much a gig to promote the All, Brands, the All Blacks brand. And they'd won back-to-back World Cups. They'd won a rugby championship with a maximum 24 points. And they completed a new world record of 18 wins in a row. What was there left for them to, to achieve? Um, had they been going for the world record that day in Chicago, who knows, they might have had a different mindset. I don't think they were quite right. They certainly were caught cold by the way Ireland t- tore into them. I think their line-out has to improve. I can't see Ireland getting the same return out of the New Zealand line-out now. Um, even looking at Scott Barrett, what a good player he looked in his first start, having come off the bench against Chicago for his debut in his first start at the weekend. They're going to have a better second row. Their lineup's going to function much better. And I can't believe the penalty count is going to be anything like 14-5 again. And they're just going to, they're going to have, to coin a phrase, a whiff of cordite in their nostrils because they're going to want revenge. And uh, it's not very often you find an All Blacks team looking for revenge. They've lost four matches in their last 65. So yeah, you would, be, you would have reason to fear they'll, be, they'll have done their homework and that, um, as Joe Schmidt said, Ireland have poked the bear. Finally, you're just thinking one change, are you? Yeah, I am. I don't see how you can really make too many more changes than that. One of one number seven, be it Josh Pantaflair, who's also a very good carrier, as well as having a high tackle count. So I think that that will stand to his favour. Uh, with Sean is O'Brien, is that who you'd pick? I think. I think. Yeah, I think he's a good carrier. I think. I think he's he's that bit match fitter, and he hasn't been overplayed this season. Um, I could see Paddy Jackson returning to the bench because. You know, we saw it just in his goal kicking alone, and unfortunately for Joey Carberry, his two misses. You can see how angry, angry he was with the second one. Second kick, yeah. yeah, really angry because that's just gonna that's gonna resonate with the coaches. Whatever chance he had, probably of staying on the bench against the All Blacks, probably went with that moment because Jackson was error free from all corners of the ground, and I think that along with his experience is going to see him force his way in I think it's a bit of a battle for the number 23 shirt um, and one player we didn't mention at the weekend that we should mention as well I thought Tiernan O'Halloran scored the try of the mm-hmm. match and I thought Finley another thing the front row resources have never looked so good when you think of how well Dave Kilcoin played when he came on with the seven carries all them big ones um, and how well John Ryan came on at scrum time and yet neither of them are likely to force their way in at all. So, yeah, I think it's largely the same 23 with just Sean O'Brien and Paddy Jackson coming in. One important question before you leave. Would Murph beat Finley Bealham in a 100-metre sprint? Um, he oh. says that he would. Um, he feels that he is... Finley Bealham would be the slowest player on the Irish rugby team uh, that played against Canada. Would Murph beat him over 100 metres? Look at that 15, Jerry. I'm beating all... Well, I'm beating one of them. <laughs> I never noticed Finley Bealham being that slow. I certainly say one thing. You wouldn't have his offloading skills. No. <laughs> <laughs> or a pace over 100 metres. But anyway, Jerry, thanks a million. Cheers. Second captain. They're better at the internet than we are. Second captain, first captain, whatever. Second captain. That's a humorous comment. I thought that... Do you believe this? It's so unbelievable. Second captain. On the internet. I'm going to bomb the shit out of them. It's true. I don't care. I don't care. They've got to be stopped. I don't know if we should be playing that, actually. No. I don't know how funny it actually is. No, it's funny anymore. No, it seemed I'm... funnier beforehand when we put that together. <laughs> None of us are laughing anymore. Uh the pod clips now still available to listen to if you want to on our, <laughs> our other iTunes feed. Uh, Captain's extras. Uh, we really need not to get hockeyed in this match on Saturday. 
I'm yeah. concerned about that. There seems to be, uh, you know, nobody can take that, obviously, the, the amazing Chicago match away from the players, but there just seems too many ready-made excuses to potentially put an asterisk beside that victory, mm. you know? It was the end of, the record had been, had been, uh, had been reached. The, it was a, a match in Chicago. It was like a sponsorship-heavy game. Um, it wasn't a traditional location. The All Blacks were subpar. I don't know. It's, uh, yeah, well, I wouldn't, I wouldn't subscribe to that now, to be honest. I mean, well, know. listen, if we get hockeyed, um, it's definitely going to tarnish it in some way because it feels like it's a once-off freak result yeah. where we want to we want to uh, we want the Irish team to be in a position where they're consistently challenging or beating teams like the All Blacks. Yeah. Well, is on it one the, of those uh, days where the performance is almost as important as the result? In that you know, if it's if it's a really bad performance, like you say, it, it tarnishes it. But if it's really good and we lose by ten points and they happen to be absolutely brilliant on the day, then I don't think we'll feel so bad. You know, we have just beaten them once in our history. I don't think we feel yeah. terrible if I th- we I think lose it's the game, al- but if yeah. we play badly, we feel terrible. Yeah, I think it's always going to be a once-off freak result if the result has been the same for 111 mm. years and you win for the first time. You know what I mean? Like that's the way it's. Mm. You know, I, 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 I think that's it stands alone. I think that you say it, next Monday it'll feel like it'll have been tarnished if we lose by 40 points. But really, you know, in the totality of our history, it's never happened before. The way that we won, scoring five tries against you know, one of the best teams of all time. I don't, I, I don't think, I think right now it feels like this era is important. If, you know, if, 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 with the remove of two or three years, I think you'll be able to say, right, that Chicago game stands alone as a brilliant moment, regardless of what's, what happens this Saturday. But certainly, as it, as it stands right now, you look at all the things we did right in that game in Chicago, you say, there's no reason why we shouldn't actually be better. We can be better. Well, it's a strange new pressure for Ireland in the New Zealand game. But on the flip side of that, for the first time in our history, we're playing against New Zealand side who will have some sort of doubt in their head as they face us. Yeah. So that could be a huge positive. Let Murph, let's take this opportunity to congratulate second captain's own, Carl Mannion. He's ours, right? He is ours. Of course he's ours. He'll be listening. Uh, and you know that he feels that too, Mark, deeply. Uh, because his St. Bridget's team, uh, champions of Roscommon, uh, hammered, Oh. God, please stop. They're already dead. Ahawillan <laughs> of Leitrim yesterday, 218 to 1-7. Uh, Carl uh, contributed a relatively modest uh, two points. One he'll be lo- three. If I know Carl like I think I do, he'll be looking to improve on that, Murphy. Well, listen, he's playing corner forward. Uh, <laughs> he's wearing number 13 on his back, according to the match report that I saw. Uh, he's a, he's a, a well-built, uh, you know, a, a well-built right corner forward, I would suggest. Mm. Uh, I'm sure that he has other... And you don't mean that in the junior the B sense. Like no, I mean, he's, he's an a, he's absolute a, brick shithouse. <laughs> and what the hell is he doing playing at right quarter forward? Yeah. But, uh, yeah, he's, uh, you know, uh, he's an experienced campaigner. Uh, I, I know that he'll be disappointed with that point <laughs> one from a free haul. Uh, so, you know, Carl, a bit to, bit to work on there. That, you know, Curve in uh, All-Ireland Champions in 2015 coming up next. So That congratulations you know. took a turn that I wasn't uh, hoping well, for. Well, no, no, we, we congratulate him, but also there's work on. You know, what would Joe Schmidt say in a situation like this, Mark? What a football show you must have coming up today. I'm already excited. That's... Yeah. <laughs> they have asked for that, really. Well, you can laugh. I'm the World Cup. I'm a little bit of an idealist, but having said that, I want to be like me. What are you talking about? What did you want? I'd like to stay alive for six days. I'd say it to you, face. I'll say it to you now. I will down to one field and we'll see them. What you doing down here, you shawnee man? Well, I was over in Vienna over the weekend, seeing a terrific, terrific, terrific performance from Ireland. People complained. People called it was. People said it was ugly. People said it was boring. They weren't saying that by the end. Um. So we'll talk a bit to uh, Dion Fang, who came in to uh, to discuss that that with us and look at some of the other football that took place over the weekend. Okay, Dave Hannigan was at Madison Square Garden on Saturday night, Sunday morning. Uh, Dave, you've been a consistent critic of the UFC and uh, Conor McGregor for quite a while now. Were you not entertained? <laughs> well, I love the gladiator reference because obviously these are gladiators in combat. I was entertained. I was appalled, uh, you know, perhaps in equal measure. Uh, a lot of what I what I suspected was I would dislike about UFC was confirmed by being there in person. There were fights that went on far far too long, long after you know it was obvious that one guy was in serious serious trouble. Um, you know the the 
the whole night really was very slickly packaged, like everything to do with UFC. I mean, they are excellent at selling what they have. And then McGregor, um, you know, put on a show, defeated this guy, uh, Eddie Alvarez, you know, didn't defeat him, trounced him really in the main event. But I kind of would have suspected that would happen as well, because I'm very cynical about the entire direction that the whole thing goes in. Um, Chris Fields who's a teammate and a friend of Conor McGregor he was on the radio yesterday and he said he's a sportsman so judge him on his sport so dissect the sporting performance of McGregor uh, for us and not the pageantry he was he was pretty devastating against Alvarez clearly in another league to that guy Plus, he was I mean Alvarez was clearly overmatched he had no answer to the striking power of McGregor um, and that was obvious, you know, literally a minute, 30 seconds, a minute into the fight that this was only going to go one way. And it was a pretty devastating, um, you know, dismissal of, of the guy who was the lightweight champion uh, coming into the fight. Are you impressed by, after seeing it firsthand and, and being in the arena to watch him, uh, having watched, you know, um, many boxing matches in the past and gone to see uh, many boxing events in the past, were you impressed by uh, McGregor's ability seeing him in the flesh? I was I was impressed by his power, but again, you know, it's like mediocre, and this was a theme of the evening for mm. me. Like there was a lot of mediocre boxing, uh, you know, taking place, and and we here had McGregor, who's a you know half decent boxer, I suppose, if you were to judge him on his boxing ability, who has power and boxing that these guys have no answer to. I mean, Alvarez looked like he'd never been told that. Oh, you need to watch out for McGregor's left. He is, you know, he can really do damage with it. So, I mean, you know, that would be obviously blasphemy to suggest that to UFC fans. Mm. But, you know, to me, a lot of bad boxing uh, interspersed with, you know, moments of, of wrestling and a lot of pressing each other up against the cage, um, you know, punctuated by, by bouts of that, which is incredibly dull. I, I think surely even UFC fans can admit that when they get pressed up against the cage, I mean, it's just yawn time. Dave, you've written at, at great length, obviously, about some of the stars of, of boxing's golden era at Madison Square Garden. And, you know, obviously the fight of the century, Ali and Fraser stands out in most boxing fans' minds uh, in that arena. Um, but when you're when you're dissecting something like this, are you essentially a boxing snob that's behind the times and not able to fully appreciate the intricacies of, of what some of these guys can do? Well, I absolutely am not able to appreciate the intricacies of UFC. I don't watch it enough. I don't follow it avidly enough to do that. However... I am not a boxing snob because my, you know, my enduring lesson that I took away from Saturday night is that boxing is dead. It's over for boxing. Um, this is, you know, this is a young. This is what young people are into. The boxing fan is like the baseball fan in America. You know, in his mid fifties, sitting at home, wishing things were different. This is the future of of combat sports. You know, certainly in America. So, in terms of being a boxing snob, no, boxing, you know, committed suicide over 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 the past couple of decades in the way that it has in the way that it has operated and it's failed to allow the best people to fight the best people. So, no, I mean, I can appreciate what UFC has done here. They have taken over. To use uh, the great McGregorism, they have taken over. What do you think of it as a spectacle, though? Did you enjoy it? I enjoyed parts of it. I think my main my main quibble was. Um, you know, uh, fights would just go on too long. Uh, this guy Khabib, the the other lightweight who was on the very early on the undercard, but is a guy that many people would like to see fight McGregor. He had uh, his opponent down for for far too long, just battering him senseless. Um, you know, long after it was obvious that this fight was only going to one way, and the ref going to go one way. The referee should have ended that. You know, again later on we had another uh, one of the main fights with um, Woodley versus Thompson. Uh, Thompson kept getting up, having been just absolutely slaughtered. And the crowd loved that, and his courage was admirable. But the damage that the guy suffered, you know, throughout this fight, and it was it was declared a draw, which was baffling to me because, you know, I mean, look, it's not, if you come from boxing, you know, dodgy decisions are par for the course. But this, this, you know, this guy Thompson got up off the canvas numerous times, but, you know, in any, in any, proper sense the fight should have been ended very very early when it was clear that he was taking savage punishment and you know the the experience of covering this fight did it sort of bring you any closer to an understanding of what the source is of this fascination that Conor McGregor seems to exert over so many people I mean it's you know it's not just fans who are turning up to see him I mean it's he's definitely I would guess the most famous Irish sportsman on the planet at the moment I'm pretty sure he's the only Irish sportsman Donald Trump could name uh, you know, he's he's the person who 
footballers will talk about. I mean, Andy Reid was at the game, the the Ireland game in Vienna, um, doing some media work. He was going to stay up all night to to watch this. I mean, I've talked to all the other footballers there. This is the only guy they're interested in seeing. I mean, you see this fascination across all sports. Jamie Heaslip has uh, commented on on Facebook over the weekend that this uh, is he now Ireland's greatest ever sportsman of all time. So it's uh, it's crossing all sports. (laughs) Let me start with Jamie Heastop. I really hope they're drug testing those rugby players regularly because that is possibly the most insane comment I've heard, even in a world of hyperbole and hysteria. That's Dave, Dave he's, made, he's made history. He's our first ever UFC fighter to be a champion in two weight divisions, and he's Irish. <laughs> yeah, he's made history in an event. It, one of the divisions started six years ago. The other one started 15 years ago. As I said in the Irish Times this morning, it's just add water history. <laughs> but... To go, back, to go back to the wider point, I think Donald Trump could probably name Rory McIlroy uh, if uh, he's he probably name could, a, a famous Irish athlete. But look, I take your point. He is absolutely, um, in terms of fame, notoriety, celebrity, he is enormous. And going there on Saturday night, I realized, you know, he is, he is top, of the, top of the pile in UFC. Now, I would argue it's a bit of a pile of shite. But uh, I will say this, he is unquestionably the cash cow of this organization to sit there all night and it was like a six and a half hour event so it was a long time and there was a lot of press conferences and a lot of other ufc fighters brought in and you can see there are there are talented athletes there are good fighters but there is nobody in front of a microphone with him and they have this language problem you know mm-hmm. they have great great our competitors who you know put on a good show in the octagon but when when they're talked to afterwards they have nothing to contribute because for most of them english is a second language you know these two polish women were fighting it was a gripping contest and then they both spoke pidgin english afterwards and you can see look mcgregor sells this thing and you know this gambit that he had afterwards of demanding a share i can see why he's asking for that because he knows that nobody is selling this as well as he's selling it for them. Does he deserve it? I think he does. If you're, if, if you're talking about who's, who's the most you know, marketable person in the sport, it's unquestionably him. I don't see logistically how you can, you can give a guy a share of a company and then claim that everybody's going to get a fair shake when you know, even already there are people, um, you know, people detracting from McGregor, McGregor within the sport, arguing that, you know, he, he gets too much or he gets uh, handled a certain way and everything is set up just for him. Uh, so, again, I, I don't think practically that's going to be very, very difficult for him. And I don't see where he goes either. I mean, UFC is the only show in town unless you're going to start a rival organization. Well, and he has, also, he has also got to appreciate, of course, that UFC, as I referenced earlier, are, this is the most slickly marketed sport I have ever been around. Nobody sells their product quite like this guy, like this organization. Yeah, but Dave, what what makes him a phenomenon? It isn't his sporting abilities. It isn't it's it's not obviously he's very talented at what he does and he's, you know, he's he's a he's a good athlete, but why is he a why is he a star? And that's because people are watching him all over the world because uh, you know, he's outrageous. He makes people laugh. He says inappropriate things. Uh, you know, he's he uses inappropriate language and he's also it's it's part of the entertainment business. So this is a guy who's uh, you know attracted a huge amount of attention from from uh, you know worldwide. But he's also you know called out people in the WWE. You know that's the sort of level we're talking about here. It's not a guy who's looking to you know stride forward and and be part of this uh, great sporting pantheon. It's a guy who's looking to make as much money as he possibly can and to do it in any way possible. So um, like the reality is that I suppose that he could you know say that he wants to go into the entertainment business. He could say that he's looking to you know become professional wrestler these are things that boxers and UFC fighters have done uh, for many years already but he's he's the, the biggest name in town he is and you look again you know calling out Floyd Mayweather and that you know if he goes down that road he'll probably make a lot of money in the short term but I don't think it's going to do anything for his legend or his you know his reputation uh, to have these kind of hybrid contests against boxers or you know cameo appearances in the WWE. Um, again, they'll do a lot for his for his fame and his recognition, uh, certainly in America, and and probably his earning power too. But you know it becomes a question of of you know are you in it for the for the entertainment dollar? Are you in it for the sport? And and I would I would say the jury is still out on, on McGregor. And he he can to be fair to look at you know the role that Ronda Rousey and say somebody like The Rock has gone down is that he 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 has options. He has options that go far beyond the octagon, 
But if you're, you know, talking about making your your name as a, or continuing to make your name, sorry, as an MMA fighter, you have to stay within the parameters of the USC. Uh, I don't know. It sounds to me like you're still holding out, Dave. Um, I mean, I see, I see uh, Mick Conlon, one of Ireland's most talented boxers, says history maker at the notorious MMA. No one in Irish sporting history has done what he's done. Gripped the whole nation, world takeover. Irish flag. <laughs> well, why? Well, that, why you know, this is this is this is real. This is what you know. Mick Conlon is—is is he the best Irish boxer around at the moment? I mean, he's—he's—he's he's, he's definitely up there, and the respect in that in that tweet is obvious. I mean, this is a guy who I imagine would have a pretty good uh, appraisal in technical terms of whether Conor McGregor is to be taken seriously as an athlete. He obviously thinks that he is. Uh, and I don't think Michael Conlon's judging it, uh, Ken specifically on the athletic qualities of Conor McGregor. I but, think I think he may have also been swayed by a lot of people, you know, probably unhealthily in a lot of ways yeah. by the 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 um lifestyle and the the whole shtick of Conor McGregor, you yeah. know, and uh, the outrageousness uh, and the money. Like it's nonsense, you know. But but I mean and because because as Dave said, if you're looking at that fight, and yeah. if you're looking at that fight from a boxing perspective, the, the the fight that Alvarez fought, how he threw a lead right hand to get knocked out against a, a southpaw fighter whose only main punch is a, is a counter uh, a counter straight left. See also is, is, in, is incredible. Mm. Like it's inc- it's nonsensical. But I and don't, it, I don't so, see. F- so from from a boxing perspective, of course, listen, McGregor McGregor's good. He's talented, but his skills are really rudimentary. Well, I, I think I mean there is a difference with boxing that you can't really block to the same extent because his gloves are small. So it's it's more difficult to 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 fight defensively. Listen, all I'm all I'm saying is Michael Conlon isn't suggesting that uh, you know I, I would say you know that he's a young man, Michael Conlon. I don't think he's suggesting that Conor McGregor is this elite uh, boxing champion. You but know? when you when you hear Dave, for instance, the very frequent at this stage comparison between Conor McGregor and Muhammad Ali, you think it's uh, you think it's I reasonable? I want to throw up in my mouth when I hear the comparison with Muhammad Ali. He is. Brash and arrogant, and he is, you know, more popular with younger fans than older fans. Just like Muhammad Ali, there the comparison ends. What if Muhammad I say? Ali what if I say this? Course. This generation's this generation's Muhammad Ali. I mean, Donald Trump is this generation's John F. Kennedy. So <laughs> Conor McGregor is, is this generation's this Muhammad is Ali. Like, this is the, this is the truth, you're, Dave. This is the truth. This is, you're not comparing like with like. This is a man who changed history. This is a man who stood up to the American government. This is a man who who uh, refused the Vietnam draft, gave up the prime years of his career on a point of political and moral principle. Well, Conor McGregor gave up who, gave up that fight in the summer because he didn't want to do a press conference. <laughs> it's just uh, I mean, you know what when when McGregor embraces Islam. <laughs> And starts speaking out against atrocities around the world. We can have the we can have the Muhammad Ali conversation when he dedicate you know when when he dedicates his life to Allah. Then we will absolutely be able to talk about you know about, about Muhammad Ali and Conor McGregor. But I will say this: I mean, look, the hype is is utterly. This is the problem with UFC, and it's a problem with modern sport in general. Everything is the greatest, the best the biggest, and no sport is immune from this. UFC just happens to have a really toxic case of it. I mean, rugby is another sport where every game, every week, is the biggest, most important, most significant game of all time. And, you know, UFC, they are the market leaders. They are the people who have convinced gullible young people who lack perspective and lack a knowledge of history that this guy is they're Muhammad Ali. I also don't recall Muhammad Ali ever saying suck on my Irish balls in a pre-fight press conference like uh, McGregor did this week. Anyway, listen, Dave, we're not going to let Ken troll you anymore, so thanks a lot for talking to us. <laughs> Thank you, guys. Good day. Cheers. Blackjack and poker and the roulette wheel A fortune won and lost on every deal All you need is strong heart and a new steel Beaver Thanks a lot, Pepe. Beaver Go ahead, Pepe. You go ask what Yes, sir. And their new war veteran of the championship, Conor McGregor. Ken, why would you do that to Dave Hannigan? Why would you try and rile him up like that? He was having a nice day until he came on the show. Just trying to remind him of certain realities. He thinks he's in the reality-based community, but I'm inviting him to step into uh, the alternative reality uh, in which Conor McGregor is what Muhammad Ali was 
people might say there's no real comparison. And Simon. Yeah, I, I think I do like Ken Early's work. He writes fluently and thinks uh, cogently, but uh, I think he's wrong. Listen, that's you're speak, it. The, the, you're speaking the, cogently, the bed, the bed has spoken, that's it. Uh, also, I noticed as soon as a contributor brings up the rock in the context of a serious sporting conversation, I think that's the time to end the conversation. <laughs> no, it's, uh, you know, we're looking at who, this all who, wrong, Ken, aren't we? We're looking you, at this all wrong. Would Ken, you, you didn't even know who the rock was. I heard you say that last week. Would you say that he's the biggest star in across combat sports in the world at the moment um, I would say he is I, I don't see I don't see anyone else who attracts this sort of attention from other sports people across a whole range of sports hmm. you know I mean I'm not just talking about I just I just think he's filling a a, um, a form of sport in inverted commas that is is much more based on entertainment it's based it's crossing spheres like wrestling it's crossing spheres like spheres like you know various television programs it's not based on the guy's sporting ability which i've said is is obviously very good but not in in the context of of uh, someone like muhammad ali also like it's crazy I can't, i'm not even going to have the conversation about that that's about, the, it's, it's 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 nonsensical to talk that's about that's the age that is the age that we are living in he is the muhammad ali of no, this he's not. age yes it's, he is what well, in the con- in the context of how many pay-per-views the guy sells fine that's in, it if you, if you context, want if you and the fact that he he fights you yeah. know if you want to if you want to declare it like that that's absolutely fine yeah. in every other capacity it's absurd to in, even have a conversation about well, that he is, I think no, as, he as is, Dave as Dave outlined he is of his he is of his moment if you're talking about the, in the entire same debasement of uh, uh, popular culture all culture and, and all, well all culture yeah if, if that's what you're talking about then uh, yeah I mean he's the He's the Muhammad Ali that this era deserves. Yeah, I, that's that's what I'm that's what no, I'm saying. That's, nobody deserves that. That's ridiculous. That, that's over overblown. I'm just saying in, 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 you're talking about an era like Trump or something like that, aren't you? Isn't that the, Trump in, in and Fraj and Golden Golden Cage together? I mean, why why could Conor? I mean, Conor McGregor can't become the next president or you know a future president of the United States because he wasn't born there. It's impossible to finesse that one. I'd say they're going to make it even stricter actually over the coming <laughs> years. But you know. Uh, he is. I mean, people might say, "Well, McGregor, you know, it's all pantomime. It's all for show. It's all, it's all about money and sort of bragging. And there's n- none of the nobility that characterized Ali. None of the idealism. None of the struggle. I mean, that's what Dave was talking about. And sure, there's not. But he is the most famous. He is the person who everybody is looking at. And ultimately, you know, that's 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 what the comparison is based on. This is he's the guy who is drawing the gaze of the world in the way that Ali did before. And that well, I, I think boxing in combat sports is like if you know to broaden out combat sports in the 1960s was a lot bigger then than it like by a factor of 20 than it is now. I don't know. I I, I get the feeling that uh, Ronaldo is you know, if you want to go down that road, like Ronaldo is the Muhammad Ali of, of this era, in that he's known, like Ronaldo is known by vast And, who, and who, who does Ronaldo go on a pilgrimage to? Who does Ronaldo, when he's in America, stop off to, to hang out with and and it's, it's send crazy. DMs well, on Instagram listen, listen, to? Listen. Who, you know, seriously. Well, he goes to meet Ronaldo, for a day. Like that's, Ronaldo, yeah. Ronaldo and McGregor have been friends for a couple of years. Listen, that con- the context of that, Ken, is exactly the same. You could say that for so many different athletes. Floyd Mayweather is the same. Neymar was at Flo- 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 Floyd Mayweather. Was Flo- Floyd Mayweather is the Muhammad Ali of the current era. Is that Floyd, Flo- Floyd is that Mayweather. Nobody cares about Floyd Mayweather. No, they, Floyd Mayweather Flo- might as well be living under he, a rock. He, he, why do you think Conor McGregor wants to fight Floyd Mayweather? Because he's the biggest drawer of pay-per-views out there. For, so for, Floyd Mayweather for is, money. A, is yeah. Floyd Mayweather is a massive, massive, massive superstar. That those same compa- comparisons exist. Apart from that, it's also in boxing. But you, nobody with in their right mind will compare uh, will compare Muhammad Ali to Floyd Mayweather. It's only Irish people who and people who are obsessed with Conor McGregor and the UFC who are comparing Conor McGregor to oh, Muhammad Ali. I don't Ali. think, I, honestly, I don't think it is just Irish people. I mean, obviously, the, maybe it's my, at its most intense among Irish people, you know, because L- Irish listen, people the have guy, the whole the nationalist him, the thing guy as him, well. The guy himself, who doesn't talk himself down at mm. any opportunity, you know, who says the most ridiculous things yeah. uh, about himself, uh, would say, has said, that it's absolutely ridiculous to compare him to Muhammad Ali. Yeah, but he can't. He, he, I don't course, think he would he compare can. himself to Muhammad Ali. Ken, Maybe if he Ken. was to compare himself to Jesus, last that week, might, that might last be more week, in his. You know, last week he said he, co- he, was he compared himself to Jesus. Already. Yeah. he compared himself well, to God. God's recognized gods. Well, yeah, well, but, he, but he still would compare himself to Muhammad Ali. He, he does he, does he, Owen yeah. McDevitt get as riled up as this? By the way, when he presents the show, this is ridiculous. <laughs> Poor Dave Hannigan. Sorry, Dave. Not on that issue. Okay, thank you so much for getting in touch with us throughout the week. Keep your emails coming to editor at secondcaptains.com and on Twitter at secondcaptains. We're very sorry for how quickly the tickets to our live show with Brian Murphy with thanks to Aer Lingus on December 4th sold out 
Well, relatively sorry. It made us feel very happy, actually. There was, <laughs> was that much interest. But anyway, that's besides the point. But you can still, even if you didn't get a ticket, you can still get an uh, Second Cap and Sports Annual Volume 2 on secondcaptains.com. Very competitively priced at seventeen ninety nine. Of course, you'll have to pay postage and packaging no, on top of that for the UK. No, oh, stop, Mark. Just I'm going to stop you right there. What, what That's is? a falsehood. You do not need to pay postage and packaging if you're in Ireland and the UK. If you order the book online, secondcaptains.com, seventeen ninety nine. And Mark, quite frankly, you should retract that statement and you should apologise to anyone who you have potentially misled as a result of saying that you should pay postage and packaging <laughs> if you're in Ireland and the UK, seventeen ninety nine, secondcaptains.com. Consider it retracted. Thank you, Mark. Owen will be back on Thursday. Thanks so much, Ken. Thanks, Mark. Thanks, Owen. Thank you, Mark. Thanks, Simon. Thanks, Ken. Thanks, Thanks guys. And thank you for listening. Thanks, Simon. Whose phone is that? That's the second time it's gone off. Westport Gather Station? No, Castlebar Gather Station. Now we're on to Westport Gather Station. No, this is Castlebar here, Castlebar Gather Station. This is Lebanon. Why is Lebanon apparently voiced by Apple? I've been working hard day and night, and now things have changed. Um... Yeah, I was invited to, to purchase some property in Portugal. Well, I didn't ring. I picked up the phone and rang here. And I picked up the phone because it rang here. Jesus Christ. I want you to walk with me. I actually can't afford even anything that you're selling. I'm just not in the market. Home is waiting. Well, best of luck with it. No, that's fine. Talk to me. All right, goodbye. Bye. Yeah, I, I think I do like Ken Early's work. He writes fluently and thinks uh, cogently, but uh, I think he's wrong. deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.